You're listening to Open Up the Wall, Revelations of a Renovation Contractor. Now, this is what they call a, quote, inspirational memoir. It's about my career change from award-winning actor to the owner of my own construction company. It's definitely a memoir, and throughout the 14 episodes of this podcast, you're going to meet some wonderful characters on both sides of the tool belt. This podcast is an edited version of the 27-chapter book of the same title, and it's available in e-form or hard copy. You can find out more about the book and about me, the author, Jeff Bowes, on my website, www.openupthewall.com. Feel free to leave any questions or comments you may have. I'd love to hear from you. Now, in episode one, I took on my first renovation project, and... um. Well, it went pretty well, except for accidentally lighting the vanity door on fire with my propane torch. Oh, and I, I put the bathtub drain pipe in wrong. Well, not wrong, just sloping the wrong way. But I learned a lot about plumbing and about myself. So, let's carry on with episode two, Stiffed. I took comfort in one phrase that I saw in my home improvement book. It described all of my mistakes and corrections as sweat equity. Now, even though I beat myself up for having to redo my bathroom drains, the entire project had cost me less than $200, not including a new vanity door. But I couldn't put a price on the thrill of playing plumber and working with my hands. Each step of the way, there'd been a special kind of satisfaction at putting something together. It was like spending the whole day doing one perfect parallel park after another. Anyway, in order to bring the pipes to the bathtub's new location, I had to cut away some of the drywall ceiling below, so now this had to be replaced. Dixie helped me lift the 4 by 8 sheets of drywall onto the car roof while the surly yard man stared at her breasts. We loaded it into the house, and we patched the holes and painted it white. And next, I figured out how to run wire upstairs so that I could install this innovative new product called a track light. And then I put a deck on the back of the house. And then I put lights in the attic. And then I insulated the attic. And then we sold the house. And then we bought a bigger fixer-upper, and I started the process all over again for the sheer fun of it. And my tool collection grew with each undertaking, and so did my confidence, as well as my curiosity and my wonder. Electric power surging into my house became more mystical than just flicking a switch. I began to notice the many different sounds that water made coming and going from my home. I wondered why there were so many types of insulation and why some door slams sounded more solid than others. I stopped thinking about getting a sailboat or living in Paris for a year, fantasizing instead about building a solar-powered log home. As my learning curve curved, I made plenty of mistakes— wasting time and money, but for the most part, I didn't hold this against myself, taking inspiration from a little clipping that was taped on our fridge. Success comes from good judgment. Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. I was closing in on the experience stage. There were things I was doing now for the second time, like putting up a ceiling fan. I was even helping my neighbors with minor repairs because the word was out. 
that Jeffrey was handy. One spring morning, my neighbor Margaret came through the gate. She had a small gardening landscape company. Nice fence, she said. Could you build one for a client of mine? You have to give the lady a price, and if she likes the price, she'll pay you after the job is done. That's the way she wants to do it, so do you want to do it? She'll pay me to build a fence? Hell yeah, sure, I'll do it. The renovation business seems to attract an above-average number of creative people. I've worked with actors, musicians, sculptors, and filmmakers who consider their life in the trades an extension of their creative process. Taking jobs doing carpentry or tiling and painting is how they avoid being starving artists. But their creative process is such a part of their vitality that they shun mind-numbing jobs as waiters or night watchmen in favor of project work, where their contribution, no matter how small, is there for all to see at the end of the day. They also get to be themselves, because singing or reciting audition monologues is all tolerated on the job sites I worked on. And I've gone to see plays and exhibits and bands at the invitation of the artists whom I've worked with during their day job. Stan was an actor I'd known by reputation for a number of years. His height and his muscular build made him a natural as the bad guy. But he had wicked comic timing, so his bad guy roles were usually in a comedy. I finally met him when we were both cast in the same movie, and I was surprised to learn that he was doing renovation work between acting gigs, and it soon became clear that Stan was way out of my league. He could do everything. Plumbing, wiring, tiling, everything. Eventually, Stan went into construction full-time, even building houses. Now there was something I couldn't imagine Jeffrey ever doing. Stan was a warm, witty guy. We had a lot of laughs whenever we met up at an audition. I would tell him about my little projects, and he was always generous with a word of advice, which always ended up saving me a bit of time and money. I saw him at the mall in the afternoon, and I told him my news. My neighbor has a gardening business, and she needs a fence built for one of her clients, and she asked me if I would do it, so yeah, I'm going over there tonight to give her a quote. He wasn't impressed as I would have liked, but he wished me well, and he said, Get everything in writing. I was in the mall to buy a professional-looking binder, those steel ones that all the contractors carry. I also needed the fine-tip pens that all the contractors do their drawings with. See, I wanted to present as professional an image as I could for my meeting that evening. I decided not to shave, but I was going to wear nice socks in case the client invited me indoors and I had to take my work boots off. Nothing would be left to chance. And I was nervous about building for a total stranger. Come on, who wouldn't be? At the appointed hour, with pens and binders and tape measure in hand, I knocked on the door. A small man with a large beard opened the door. He said nothing. Uh, good evening, I said. My name is Jeff, and I've been asked to provide a price for a new fence. You want Inga? She's out back. Go between the houses. The little man had his mouth open as if to speak. I waited but he just kept staring at me. Finally, he closed the door in my face. I went around the back. You must be Jeffrey. Dave told me you were here. I'm Inga. Pleased to meet you, I replied, and call me Jeff. Inga was a large woman with a tight, severe mouth. Her gray hair was dirty, and her yard was a mess. I couldn't tell if she was avoiding eye contact with me or just keeping her eyes on the fence. Now, I can't afford anything fancy, just your basic fence. 
high enough so I don't have to deal with my awful neighbors. Oh, okay, so a straight board fence. Oh, God, no, it's got to look pretty. I want a fence made out of lattice. Well, okay, that will look pretty, but it won't afford you as much privacy. Inga flashed a look like she was going to kill me, but she covered it in an instant. She smiled and said, It's going to be lattice. How much? Lattice it is, I said. I'll take some measurements and get back to you. Thank you, Jeffrey. Come on, Dave. The little man with the beard was standing at the corner of the house, looking for all the world like a garden gnome. With his eyes on the ground, he scurried past me and followed Inga into the house. I had a different tone at the order desk this time. All right, who's next? Yeah, that'll be me. Yeah, the lady wants a lattice fence. And then I kind of rolled my eyes, the way I had observed other contractors doing. It said, it's not my idea, but hey, what can I do? And then I placed my order and I said, have a good one, the way all the other guys did. I would have liked to have told him that this was my first professional job, that I was kind of nervous about building a fence for pay, but that would have got me laughed out of the place. The fence was only 20 feet long, so after digging the post holes four feet down and pouring the concrete piers, I had it built in two days. When I was done, I took a lot of pictures from a lot of angles. This fence was identical to the one that I had put up at my own home, but I was more proud of my work on this one because getting paid for a job made it more real. I was a professional. Oh, if my mother could see me now. Jeffrey, hired to do manual labor. Oh, dear. I'd bought a book of invoices with duplicate copies, and I wrote my first invoice. As instructed, I left it in Inga's mailbox for her bookkeeper to pick up. After 12 days, I called Inga. I got her answering machine. Two days after that, I left another message. I called again the next day, and Inga answered. She said that she had given the invoice to her bookkeeper, and she would see to it that a check was delivered to my house that evening. Two days after that, I knocked on her door. Dave opened it. He let me in and scurried off. Inga came down the stairs and said, You're here about that so-called invoice. Well, I don't know where to begin. What's the problem with it, I asked. It couldn't be more straightforward. Yes, as you. You call that a fence? It's all crooked. I was not used to being talked to in this way, ever, and it made me mad. I tried to stay businesslike. Where is it crooked? Show me. No, I didn't mean crooked. I mean, the lattice is on wrong. How is that possible? You put the lattice in vertically. It's supposed to be horizontal. I had to think about that one for a minute. That's crazy. The lattice is square. There is no vertical or horizontal. Yeah? Says you. You took the lazy man's way out and you ruined my fence. I'm certainly not paying for such shoddy work. I'll pay you for the material, and that's all. Because now I'm going to have to pay someone else to fix your shoddy work. She was yelling a shrill, grating yell. Dave stood to my right with his arms folded across his chest. I said, Inga, your fence looks great. It's solid. It's square. Now, if you're having trouble paying the full amount right now, we can work something out. But you have to pay me. How dare you talk down to me? Get out! Dave, get him out! Dave moved menacingly closer. The thought of the little gnome trying to push me out the door made me laugh, which was how I made my exit, laughing. I cried on the way home. Inwardly, of course. I was going to call my shrink, but I called Stan instead. 
I could use some advice, I said. I built the fence, but the woman won't pay me. Did she give you a good reason or a bullshit reason? Well, she says I put square lattice on vertically, but she wants it horizontally. A bullshit reason, which means she never had any intention of paying you. How much did she stiff you for? Um, about 450 bucks. Uh, Not so bad. Well, you have to take it to small claims court. It's quite a process, and they never give the tradesman the full amount, but you have to do it. It hardly sounds worth the effort for 450 bucks. You're not going for the money. You're going for your reputation. Now, look, did you do a good job on the fence? Yes. Did you do it to code? Yes. Then why would you give this woman a free fence? Listen, if you don't go to court, she will be talking about you and her free fence. But if you take her to court, she won't say a word to anyone. Oh, Jesus, of course. She'll be talking about me. Nip this in the bud. In this business, all you have is your tools and your reputation. Keep them both clean. Whoa, well said. Um, do you want to come to court with me? What? No. I paid a paralegal to serve the summons on the woman. Then I took a lawyer friend to lunch and got tips on what to do in a court and how to impress a judge. By the time I got to pretrial, I'd spent about $120 on my $454.70 complaint. Pretrial is where both parties sit across from each other while a mediator encourages a settlement. It looked as though Inga hadn't washed her hair since last I saw her. She sat with downcast eyes and heavy brown eyeshadow. She spoke against me and my fence, citing shoddy workmanship. She was vague in her examples, and she picked at her brown nail polish with short, stabbing becks. Sitting across from her after four months, I felt my anger rising all over again, and I caught the mediator looking at my clenched fists. I was in danger of losing my focus and becoming inarticulate when it became my turn to speak. So, in my mind... I resolved to punish Inga further, someday, somewhere, regardless of the outcome of this case. Having a malevolent plan helped me to calm down. I made a point of reminding her about the lattice going in vertically, not horizontally, knowing that she'd sound really stupid trying to explain that one. And she did. She sounded ridiculous. So then I showed pictures of work to Mr. Mediator, and he said it looked fine to him. Of a professional standard were his words. He suggested that she pay me $300. She said that she couldn't afford that much. I asked her if she'd ever had enough money to pay for a new fence. She told me to mind my own business. That made the mediator laugh, and he said that it was my business, and that's why we were here. We settled on $175. But I had come to understand through this ludicrous process that without a reputation— A tradesman would not move forward in the building business where, ultimately, success depends on word of mouth. It was also easy to understand now how a miscommunication or a personality clash with a client would mean the end of my career before it had even got off the ground. Luckily, I had no clients. My reputation at this point was limited to Stan, so it was especially important that I tell him that I had won and that the mediator said that I had done a professional job on the fence. Well, congratulations, he said. And then this is what I heard him say next. I may have some work for you, if you're interested. (gasps) I had to make sure. You mean you're offering me a job? 
Well, indirectly, but yeah. I'm working for my friend Greg. He's building a full-service recording facility. Two studios, two control rooms, four offices, and a lounge. There's a lot of drywall to go up, so he needs more guys. I told him you had some skills, so he said to bring you along and we'll see how you work out. The timing couldn't have been better, because I was in the midst of a career crisis. For the past 25 years, I'd be making a very good living as an actor. I was well-known in the industry, and I'd won awards, but my heart just wasn't in it anymore. I was 45 years old, and I didn't like the roles I was getting, now that I was not young but not old. The business had been very lucrative, and at this point I owned three houses, and fixing them up had become my preferred creative outlet. I love working in the theatre, and I love actors. But I had two kids now, and it was painful leaving them to spend ten weeks in a theatre on the other side of the country. And Dixie had begun to get leading roles at a summer Shakespearean festival, so we had to pull the kids out of school and relocate to the festival town every March and then return home every October. And the older they got, the harder this was on them. So we had to make the decision to stay put. I suppose that's when I began to make career choices based on the salary. And I suppose that's when I became bitter. We had only one rule. Do not look stupid on national TV. And for this reason, we stopped doing commercials, relying instead on episodic television shows and movies of the week to pay the bills. I hit Mr. T with a barbell. I injected Robert Urich with a toxic serum. I begged Tom Sizemore to spare me from financial ruin. I delivered Farrah Fawcett's baby. I turned a whole town against Yasmin Bleeth. I left John Corbett in a hole. I betrayed Bruce Dern. I gunned down lots of people, and I got gunned down a lot. I simulated sex, and I made racial slurs. My little boy once saw some show I was in, in which I was executed with a bullet to the back of the head. In his glorious four-year-old innocence, he couldn't separate the fantasy from the reality, and the shocking images made him cry. I'd done a lot of things that I wouldn't want my kids to see. I was in a business that was losing its appeal. Things just hadn't gone the way I imagined they would. Anyway, Stan asked me, you in? Are you kidding? Yeah. Great. Next Monday, 8 a.m. On Sunday night, I double-checked that my cordless drill was charged. I loaded new blades into my drywall knives. I vacuumed out my tool bag. And finally confident that I was completely prepared, I went to bed. But I woke up worrying that the frayed laces on my boots would break and I'd be embarrassed in front of seasoned pros. I was nervous because... While I pretty much knew what to expect putting up drywall, I didn't know what was expected of me. I just didn't want to come off as a Jeffrey on my first day. I I just wanted to fit in. At 7.48, I walked onto the job site. Stan was already there, and he showed me around. There were tool belts and tools and hard hats, all neatly piled in various corners of the space belonging to the other workers. There was drywall piled neatly against most of the walls. The floors were swept clean, and in the middle of the space were stacks of metal studs. You ever worked with metal studs before? asked Stan. Uh, no. Well, you like it. It's really light, and you can cut it with tin shears, and it screws together with these tiny little screws. Anyway, let's get on with it. You'll pick it up in no time. And to my joy, I did. I wasn't as fast as Stan, but I didn't make any mistakes as we put up a large wall. As the other guys came in, I was introduced casually. This is Jeff. Hey, 
This is Jeff. Dude. Stan, I guess, felt comfortable leaving me alone to make wall studs. I'll be in the front studio if you need me. Greg will be here soon, so I'll send him back to see how you're getting along. Ah, uh, yes, a reminder that this was my tryout. So I measured, cut my studs, and pinched them together with thumb and forefinger while I screwed them into their top and bottom plates. I was doing fine. I had it down, and I was picking up speed. I pinched the next two pieces of tin stud together, and I screwed. This time, though, my pinching finger was in the way, and the screw bored through the stud and into my finger. Out came an involuntary gasp of pain. Ah! I quickly made like I was singing a Beatles song. Ah, look at all the lonely people. I got away with it. Nobody noticed. I was checking the damage when I heard a voice behind me say, You must be a Jeffrey. It was Greg, and I hadn't heard him correctly. He seemed very young to be the head of this million-dollar-plus undertaking, looking thirty-something with a slim build and that kind of straight hair that doesn't respond to styling and just lays flat on your forehead. But his gaze was direct, and his voice was confident, so I knew I was talking to the boss. "'Call me Jeff,' I said, and I quickly wiped the blood off my finger before we shook hands. He smiled a crooked smile and said, "'Thanks for helping me out.' Despite the enormous scope of the project, Greg remained easygoing and, with me, very patient. "'I got some meetings with clients and the sound engineer in here today,' he continued, "'so I want to give you an idea of what's going on so you aren't bumbling around looking like an idiot while they're all here. Let's take a walk.' Greg led me down a hallway past stacks of drywall. A single bulb was the only light. We went through a steel-framed doorway into a crooked room with low ceilings. The front of this recording booth measures 9 foot 11 inches wide, and the back measures 8 foot 7 inches wide. See, all recording booths are built crooked, front to back, side to side, top to bottom. This is done so that the sound won't bounce around like a billiard ball on a rectangular table. See, the irregularity of the shape dissipates the sound waves. So you're going to build me another one of these crooked boxes out of steel studs. And after that, they need to be soundproofed, and then a couple of layers of drywall, and then we can start prettying them up. Cool? Uh, yeah, I get the crooked room will dissipate the sound waves, I said. But why do you want to do that? To create dead air. The microphones are in there to pick up vocals and nothing else, not even room tone. You mean an empty room has a tone? <laughs> now when I'm done with it, it won't. Looking down at my cordless drill, he laughed. That's not going to last long. By lunchtime, the concrete floor was covered in chunks of drywall and pieces of metal stud, and the air was dusty. I had none of the anxiety about making a mess that I did working on my own home. Nobody was going to complain here. Just kick the junk out of the way and keep on working. This was a construction site. Jeffrey was on a construction site. Jeffrey was working with his hands. Oh, my God, if the family could see me now. We left the building and went for lunch at the kind of place that doesn't mind serving tradesmen. Not like those gourmet coffee places where guys in work boots are made to suffer the tisks and glares from stay-at-home mums as they weave their way through the aisles clogged with their expensive strollers. The staff would never go so far as to say, we don't want your kind coming in here. But the terse and abrupt, yes, can I help you, says the same thing. 
There's a reason why you don't see workers taking coffee breaks in those places. It's because of baristas with tattoo sleeves who treat them with disdain. Just because a man works with tools and gets his hands dirty doesn't mean that he isn't capable of having his feelings hurt. Ironically, we went to the Patrician Grill. These were early days on this enormous project, so the lunchtime talk was mostly Greg and Stan planning and troubleshooting. I just listened, extremely happy to even be there. We should finish the framing this week. Yeah, but there are two split beams holding up the stairs, so we'll have to sister them before we can frame the lobby. Well, some of you have to lag two-by-twelves onto them. Okay, but can we still finish the back studio framing this week? Jeff? I looked up for my soup. They were both looking at me. Greg said, Jeff, can you get the rest of the studs up in three days? Um, I don't know, I guess, yeah, probably. I saw Stan look away. Greg spoke firmly to me. Jeff, I have to plan for when to bring in the electrician, so I'm looking for a yes or no answer. I hadn't given any thought to my place in the grand scheme of things. I'd come with no idea of the big picture, no sense of responsibility for my part in this project, or the fact that I was being paid to help keep Greg's business running smoothly. Greg was the GC, the general contractor. More general than contractor, he was leading a small army of plumbers, electricians, HVAC, that's heating, ventilation, air conditioning, fabricators, roofers, drywallers, specialty trades, security, telephone, internet, even a stained glass maker. Each of these trades had to be coordinated with the one coming before and after. I got the hang of the metal studs now, I said, hoping I sounded confident. So yeah, I'll be done in three days. It's totally doable, agreed Stan. Anyway, you have to work with me tomorrow on the split beam, so if that throws off your timing, I'll give you a hand on Friday. That's what I like to hear, Greg said. Because, you know, my brothers, it's all about people helping people. We laughed at his delivery, but the sentiment was right on. (laughs) 